Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Purdy Insurance. Visit Purdy Insurance on Market Street in Sunbury or visit online at purdyinsurance.com. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. All right, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Kia, Roots 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Auto, home, life, business. They're the insurance experts. They'll get you the right insurance. They'll update it constantly. Always review. Make sure you're covered. They also look to see if you can get a better deal. They're always looking for the best price. If there's a claim, you won't find better working for you and your interests. Purdy Insurance, Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Time now for the Spike Lee play-by-play call of the day. The Knicks win. Dennis Smith Jr. tacks with the left. Lobs to the right corner. Thomas for three. Buries it. Exclamation point for the Knicks with 48.6 to go. 128-114. 16 for Thomas and a steal. Smith jumped the route down the lane off glass. Robinson slams it down. Ah, and Spike had to be in Hollywood instead of being in the front row at the garden to watch his beloved Knicks. Ah, Knicks won last night. You know, just when you think there, there are no more miracles, that happens. No. Funny part of it all, who's on stage to hand him the Oscar? One of his buddies, Samuel L. Jackson. That's right. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I said, just get Uh, to the speech. Don't break off into a credit card commercial. Just. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Oh, goodness. I watched quite a bit of it last night, the Lady Gaga-Bradley Cooper uh, duet from A Star is Born. That was very cool. I saw when they named Best Picture. I was watching a movie. Actually, yeah, we, actually we watched uh, Bohemian Rhapsody on Friday night. Oh, what did you think of it? Not bad. Not bad. There was kind of a down point, I'd say, about three-quarters of the way in when you know, Freddie broke away from the band for a little bit. I thought there was kind of a little bit of a lull at that point in the movie. But overall, I thought it was really good. Rami Malek was phenomenal as Freddie. Yeah, I watched something on TV last night. It was, you know, eh, I don't really, you know. I haven't seen any of these movies. None. Last year, I saw Churchill with Gary Oldman. I was like, okay. Uh, and Oldman, I thought, was brilliant. The movie was brilliant. Uh, the other movie about de, 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 what was it called? It was about World War Dunkirk. I hated that movie. <laughs> I, sat there. I mean, I'm sitting there. We're going out to the Fiesta Bowl, and you know, so I was in one of the pods up in first class, which is. <laughs> Don't believe me. It really is cool. <laughs> okay, I, I have to admit, you're like, okay. All right. And I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this movie. I'm like, all right. And I really wanted to see. Here's the, I really wanted to see it. 
I really wanted to see the movie. So I'm scrolling through. I go, oh, awesome, Dunkirk. That's awesome. And I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I'm watching it, and I can't get into what's going on. It jumps around. I'm like, I'm thinking, this movie. So then I saw Churchill. Churchill is what Dunkirk should have been. I mean, Dunkirk to me, I was like, you have I, I finally looked over at Jack. I said, he said, so what are you watching? Dunkirk. He said, what do you think? I said, Jack, it's not worth it. I said, I can't. It, it just, even though you know stuff's happening, it doesn't go anywhere. It jumps around, it jumps around, it jumps around. It's just no flow to it. Yeah, I, then, <laughs> to make it worse, I put on the uh, Will Ferrell, Amy Poehler movie about their kid going to Bucknell. <laughs> I, <laughs> And I laughed. <laughs> I thought, hey, this is pretty, a lot better than the movie I wanted to see. Right? I mean, this year coming back from the Citrus Bowl, I watched uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. Loved it. <laughs> okay, now we're up to like, oh, yeah, hey, there's no art in that. Who cares? It's a, <laughs> it kept my interest. Oh, no, you should be watching this. No, no, I want to watch something interesting. <laughs> I think the big shocker last night was Olivia Coleman winning Best Actress over Glenn Close. So we'll probably... Probably the next movie Deb and I will catch. It'll either be a Star is Born or or the favorite, just to catch. Uh, you know, she's into I, the she's into the England stuff. So I, I couldn't tell you in a million years what either of the movie's about. Yeah, the favorite's based in the 18th century when England's at war with the French, and Olivia Coleman, who won Best Actress, she plays Queen Anne. And there's another person, her best friend, takes over the country in her stead because she's in failing health. Okay. <laughs> That's what the favorite's about. So we're going to go with that or a Star is Born. Uh, I don't think I'm going to go to that. I Star catch is Born. On demand, so. uh, Star is Born. Let's see. When Judy Garland did it, no, I didn't watch that. Barbara Streisand did it. No, I didn't do that. I'm going to keep a perfect record. Okay. I'm going to be, I'm going to be 0 for 3 on Star is Born. <laughs> no interest. Now. Tom Cruise hanging off the side of an airplane? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's do that. <laughs> I think we're due to see him in another one of those kind of movies later this year. It's been a while. Cruise, this is what the plan is on Mission Impossible. They're going to do. They're going to film the next two, which might be his last two, at the same time. Uh, and then they're going to release them in back-to-back years which I believe will be 20 and 21 or something like that. They're going to film the next two together. You know, They're going to film back-to-back simultaneously. So that's, that's the game plan. Bond, Bond is out next year in 2020. Bond will never win any Academy Awards for anything, although they got best song last time. But uh, at least something happens. All right, so... <laughs> Oh, you gotta love the art and the cinematography. I'm sitting there, yeah, great. <laughs> I, you know, I'm part barbarian. Okay, let's, <laughs> Luke he's trolling. Let's get him in here from USA Today. Hello, Luke. How are you doing today? Great to have you with us. Hey, my pleasure, Steve. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for being with us. All right, so. This is not 
Is it fair to say this is not a great skill position draft or a deep skill position draft? I honestly wouldn't say that. I think that it doesn't have – we don't have a Saquon Barkley at running back, obviously, in this class. We don't have uh, maybe a Julio Jones necessarily at receiver. We don't have the quarterback class that we had both at the top and in terms of depth. Um, but particularly at wide receiver and running back and even tight end, I really like the overall depth of the class. I think you're going to see quality starters – uh, available in, uh, well into day two uh, and role players into day three. I think that if you need a receiver or a running back or a tight end, you're going to get a contributor uh, later than you would in a lot of drafts. Quarterback, though, it's a completely different game. Uh, I think it's you know a lot of questions at the top and even more the deeper you get into this class. All right, let's get to the the fronts, though. How deep is it defensive and offensive line in this draft? It sounds like this is the draft where help is on its way. It really is on both sides of the ball. If you need uh, particularly interior defensive line help or if you need an edge rusher early in this draft, there are six guys uh, that are edge pass rushers that I can see going in the first round of this draft. After that, it's quite a bit of a drop-off, but that that top tier of guys is really good. In terms of the interior, similar to running back and receiver, you're going to see a lot of guys um, available into day two, second and third round that are going to be quality starters. Uh, but in terms of the top of that class, I think the interior defensive line is really going to dominate uh, the early part of this draft in the first round. And I think the same will be true for the offensive tackle position. I think you should you could see uh, five or six offensive tackles in the first round range as well. So definitely a good year to need uh, trench players on both sides of the ball. Which players really stand out to you that you think that their trans the the game they have translates to the NFL and can do quickly? Uh, I think DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss, is going to be a guy that, especially if he does what we expect him to do at the combine, both from a measurement standpoint and an athleticism standpoint, he could be the guy that puts himself into that Julio Jones range. You're talking about a guy who's six four, two thirty, is expecting and hoping, I think, to run in in the sub four four range, which at that size is just ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's it's insane, right? You see the pictures that are coming out from his workouts. I mean, he's just he's he's, he's not quite to David Boston. You know the levels right, sure. of uh, of jacked up, but but sure. he's definitely uh, looking like a player who could definitely end up being the top ten lock when he comes out of Indy. Um, Josh Jacobs, who's a, a running back from Alabama, who you know right. players will say, well, he was the you know the third best running rushing uh, at Alabama, uh, but I would contend that uh, the uh, there was a guy in Tennessee who did the same thing, finished third in rushing, and his name was Alvin Kamara. He did okay. So um, Josh Jacobs, I think, is the is the number one running back in this draft, even if he wasn't uh, at Alabama. He's another guy that I think could really establish himself as the cream of the crop. Well, I mean, whether you're the third best running back on a team or not. It's game translating to the NFL. I mean, Terrell Davis's game trans translated to the NFL, and he had a very limited career at Georgia. Limited. Yeah, exactly. And and Jacobs is a guy who I think because he didn't you know wear down at Alabama, they didn't feed That's him the exactly ball so much. Right. He, he's going to be a much better pro because yep. he just he does he has so much more tread on the tires. That's exactly right. Because guess what? He have a lot of heavy duty usage yet. They have not worn him down because of how he was used at Alabama, and I think that makes a big difference for a talented guy like him. It really is, and, and he was a, a very well-used package player. They used him as a wildcat quarterback in short yardage situations, goal line situations. He was really effective. That's really what his entire high school offense was built around. Just give him the ball and he'll win the games for you. So uh, I think the, the right offense 
uh, will definitely take advantage of the fact that, that Alabama really didn't need to maximize his skill set, but, but at, the, at the next level, they definitely will. One of the odd parts of this draft is at the tight end spot where if you look at the top five tight ends, two of them are from Iowa. <laughs> so Noah Fant and obviously T.J. Hawkinson. Hawkinson made a play against Penn State. Look, there was where he caught it and he hurdled somebody. Uh, there aren't many tight ends that can do that. What does he bring to the table that you think has a lot of people saying he can be the number one tight end in the draft? Well, I think you just said it. It's the athleticism that really pops off of the film that tells you, wow, this guy can be special. But really, the deeper you get into his film, it's the fact that he does every single thing well that you ask of a tight end. He and it's hard well. to find. Yeah, it's hard to find a position outside of tight end that, that is asked to do more, you know, or, or to do different things quite as much. So, you know, when you have a guy that, that has so many boxes to check and he still checks all of them at a high level, and again, you have that rare athleticism on top of that, I mean, I, I will, I'll never compare anybody to, to Rob Gronkowski or kind of the elite tight ends that we've seen, but he definitely has the ability to be that kind of player, and that's why I, I don't think he, he lasts very long in the first round. I think teams like Cincinnati at 11, yep. uh, Green Bay at 12, I think, is really where his range is. All right, let's get to the secondary for a moment. How deep are safeties versus how deep are corners that you think have uh, games that translate and can play in the league? I think we're going to see maybe first and second round uh, full of some really good guys at corner. Uh, I think after that, it's going to be a, kind of a bit of a drop-off, and, and you're going to see maybe some, some role players or some guys that have some flaws getting overdrafted because it's just such an important position that teams have to address. Um, safety's really interesting. There's some some you know high-quality guys from big programs like Alabama where Deontay Thompson is kind of the next guy in line to come out of that secondary. Um, but he's not a perfect prospect either. Great athlete, great range, but I think some of his flaws were exposed against Clemson, uh, as it was for a lot of Alabama's defenders, unfortunately, for them. Um, but an interesting guy to keep an eye on, a guy named Nasir Adderley, and if that name rings a bell, it's because yeah. he is related to Herb. Um, but he's a very versatile guy. Played at Delaware, but he's definitely a guy that's on NFL. It's a big guy. He's played both corner and safety, so you like that versatility. I think with a good showing in Indy, he could lock himself into the first round as well. How do you view Amani Oriwari at Penn State with his length at corner? I'm a big fan. I, I'm down from the Tampa area, and Bucks fans are probably getting tired of me <laughs> mocking him to the Bucks in the early second round there. And it's kind of my hope that he'll still be on the board for the Bucks there because, again, today's NFL, the receivers are so big, so athletic, so quick and physical at the line of scrimmage that having those corners that are six foot plus six one with those long arms who can be physical, who have the technique to kind of stymie them at the line of scrimmage and all of those things obviously are what he does well. I don't think those guys last too long. So if he runs well in Indy, he could definitely lock himself into a first round pick as well. At the center guard spot, how do you view a young man by the name of Connor McGovern? Again, interior guys, particularly offensive line in general, that's where you're going to see so many injuries and depth is so important yeah. that a guy who can play multiple positions like that is going to have a lot yeah. of value. So I think that's where his value will be, a team that, that needs a guy who can be a spot starter at multiple positions, has a lot of experience at a high level against some of the best competition in college football. All of those things are going to have him off the board um, earlier than I think a lot of people think. See, that's where I think it helps a guy like Ryan Bates. He can play all five spots. So, I mean, you know, that, somebody will get a hold of him and they'll say, okay, you can play all these spots. That helps you make – once you make the team, then you can make get some traction. All right, now let's get to the quarterbacks. All right, let's start with Kyler Murray, uh, former center fielder of the Oakland A system. Uh, <laughs> it's now in the uh, is now in the draft. How do you look at him? And how curious are you about him? 
I'm, I'm as curious as anybody, which is quite a bit. I think he's the biggest wild card in this draft. I think we went through some of this with Lamar Jackson last year, uh, but Lamar Jackson was 6'3". So, you know, we didn't have quite the same uh, height concerns, but this is a guy who's, I mean, he's built like a running back. He's 5'9". He's, you know, supposedly 200 plus, 205 right now when he's working out, so we'll find out in, in Indy where he's at. They claim he's uh, 206 right now. Yeah, you know, I mean, if he comes in like that, it's just going to be interesting. You know, last year we saw a guy in Baker Mayfield who who also didn't fit the mold completely, and he was the number one pick. I think Kyler Murray is challenging that kind of status quo to a completely different level this year. It's going to take a team that is willing to do what Cleveland did later in the season under Freddie Kitchens and, and really be willing to, to mold the offense around the talents of their quarterback because I think if there's a, a, an offense and a team that's willing to risk that and do that, uh, Kyler Murray could, could break that mold even further. And again, he's just an exciting football player. So for a, a pure fan of the game like myself, I'm excited to see what he can do at the next level, and I'd love to see him get an opportunity. All right. I mean, there's going to be a perception about him that, well, he runs around and then he makes a play. And I understand the perception. Yet 89% of his plays were from the mm-hmm. pocket at Oklahoma. Does that help him in terms of the ability to go next level? It absolutely does. And I think that, you know, an interesting comparison is what Russell Wilson does in Seattle. I mean, Russell Wilson is able to make plays out of the pocket and and they don't have the greatest offensive line. So he's kind of forced to do that more than he would like. But that doesn't mean he's a, quote, running quarterback. He's an incredible quarterback from the pocket and would prefer to stay there and make plays because he can do that. And I think Kyler Murray is is a very similar player and has that kind of upside to be able to do that. The pocket does break down. If he does see an opening, obviously he can take advantage with the rare talent that he has as a runner. But when you have the ability to make plays in, in the face of pressure, he's obviously shown he can do that. And, in fact, you know, for a lot of people, they saw the national semifinal game. And for some people, it might be the only game they saw him play this year. And, of course, against Alabama, he was running to try and save plays all night long. And so people think he's a running quarterback. All right, now let's get to Dwayne Haskins. Haskins is interesting to me because the one game I saw him play in person, I believe 6% of his completions were behind the line of scrimmage. What do you think about him? Yeah, he is still the best quarterback in this class for me. I uh, don't know how he would rank uh, in last year's class. It was extremely deep at the top. But for him, I see the biggest concern for me would be his lack of starting experience. And I know that that is a concern for some NFL teams. They have kind of a, a premium that they put on that. Um, but honestly, I see a very accurate quarterback. I see a guy who can be accurate down the field and take shots down the field. No question. Uh, you know, some of my concern would also be that that a lot of his deep touchdowns, you do have a lot of wide open receivers. So is he? You know, <laughs> nobody's really wide open in the NFL. So he's going to have to prove he can hit those those tight windows. I think he will be able to do that. Team might have to just be a little patient. Yeah, that, I think it's one of the reasons against Penn State they you know, were up the middle, which really bothered him. He was smart, dumped the ball off, but he never had time to 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 go downfield in that game. The fourth quarter, he had a couple of passes. So I mean, that's an experience there. Anybody else in this quarterback group that you look at and go, okay, I'll give him a shot and see? I'm not talking first round here. No, yeah, there are some guys that uh, that have some interesting tools. The guy that really uh, intrigues me is a guy named Tyree Jackson from Buffalo. Uh, when I look at him and, and his film, honestly, I see a lot of similarities between him and Josh Allen from Wyoming last year who ended up being the top 10 pick of the Buffalo Bills and honestly played better down the stretch than I really expected him to be. Extremely raw guy, 
You know, definitely didn't have the greatest supporting cast at Wyoming. Similar for Tyree Jackson. He's 6'7", 245. A very, very impressive athlete for his size and just has an absolute rocket launcher for a right arm. So uh, we saw some some really good things from him at the Senior Bowl. We've had some, some really good things on film that we've seen. Just, you know, you want to see the consistency. You want to see his development. So I think if a team's able to uh, spare, uh, you know, a mid-round pick for him and really put some time and invest in developing his raw talent, I think he could be a, an impact player. I know he had an ACL. What do you think of Bryce Love? Bryce Love is going to be really interesting. This this running back class is so deep, and there's so many other guys that I feel like there's going to be a lot of teams that come to a pick and say, hey, there's Bryce Love. Here's this other guy who may be not as well-known but doesn't have as many carries, doesn't have as many injuries. Let's go with that guy instead. So what I think is going to happen, if, if Bryce Love is able to bounce back to full strength, if a team is sitting there in the later rounds and, and other running backs that you know maybe don't have as much risk have been going ahead of him, I think if a team spends a fifth or sixth round pick if he's still on the board, which I think is very possible, if he's able to return to the form that we saw when he was a Heisman Trophy finalist, I think he could be one of the biggest steals of this draft, which is, you know, you'd think that'd be a big surprise with as much uh, as well-known as he's been uh, for the last few years. Some people are wondering about Miles Sanders. How do you view him? I'm a big fan of Miles Sanders. I was really hoping you'd bring him up because, this, again, this class is going to be very interesting. There's a lot of different types of running backs. And, again, we talk about a guy who doesn't have a lot of, you know, a lot of usage. It wasn't, you know, pounding the ball for the last four years in a row. But a guy that has, you know, a great frame at 5'11", 215, um, has proven that he can run the ball between the tackles outside. He can catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield. Very complete back who, again, hasn't really scratched the surface of his potential. So I think, you know, usually you kind of want to see more from a guy than one year. I think, honestly, it was kind of a wise move for him to make the jump to the NFL because I really think his best days are ahead of him, and why not do that at the pro level? Right. No, I understand that completely. Uh, Finally, give me one or two guys – that you that with the right fit, right, right system, whatever, that they may not go. They, they definitely won't go the first day, but maybe late the second day or somewhere in the third day that you say, you know what, right fit, that guy is going to be an interesting player along the road. I think one of them is going to be Marquise Brown, the wide receiver from Oklahoma. Uh, I think yeah. that you know there are some people that believe he's a top fifteen pick. I'm not really in that camp. Uh, I think there are some other receivers that you know are bigger that you know haven't had the injuries. Uh, but if he ends up in the right spot, the, the one spot that I've really liked for him lately uh, is that end of the second round spot to New Orleans, uh, because I think he'd be a really, really fun, explosive weapon to add to that offense. You have Drew Brees, obviously, at least for the time being. You have a big target in Michael Thomas, who's able, you know, he's your possession guy that's going to move the chains, get the red zone looks. But adding a guy like Marquise Brown to take the top off of the defense, I think it'd be really fun for that offense. But he's a guy that could kind of slip, again, because of the lack of size. Um, so he, he's on that list. Um, uh, let's see, another guy, Kalen Saunders, who's a defensive lineman from Western Illinois, had a great week at the Senior Bowl. Uh, I think if he's put in a situation uh, where teams could be patient with him but kind of rotate him in and out, he could end up being a really great interior pass rusher. Um, and then we talked about Josh Jacobs, obviously, before. Kyler Murray, I think, is on that list as well. Uh, Paris Campbell from Ohio State, I think, is one of the better receivers in this draft. I think he's a, a great leader and an explosive guy with the ball in his hands. I think in the right offense, he could be a big-time big, a big time rookie. He can fly. He Paris can. Campbell can fly. And they used him at Summit H-back, so he'll actually get his hands dirty. 
uh, and, and block. I lied about the last question. This will, uh, and it's, there'll be some debate as to whether some people should or should not throw at the combine. Does it matter as long as they throw at a pro day? I honestly don't think it matters. Um, I think the combine is very much about the behind the the behind the scenes stuff, behind closed doors, the medical evaluations, the interviews they have with teams. That's the stuff that's really going to set you apart in a positive way. I think when you throw at the combine, if you throw well and you're a top prospect. It's kind of what everybody expected, and right. that's fine. I think there's a lot greater risk if you go out and, and you don't look as great, which, again, the, the, the odds are kind of stacked against you. You throw into receivers you don't really know. Right. You, you don't have the opportunity to script things uh, like you would at a pro day, which, again, some teams would look at that and say, well, I want to see you work in that environment. I want to see how you respond to that. But you know, I, I wouldn't begrudge a quarterback prospect for saying, hey, I want to kind of do this on my own terms and put my – put myself in the best position to succeed and then after the fact when i end up with the team i'm with then we'll we'll deal with the rest of that stuff so you know i, I understand why guys want to go out and compete and throw and, and right. prove themselves i also understand why guys want to do that at their pro day instead and it only takes one team to say yeah so what i mean lamar jackson never threw the ball once on any <laughs> in his pro right, day exactly. anything. he had lousy pro days throwing the ball now nah, we'll take him first and it worked you know at least this year it did Oh, so much! What a pleasure, and I hope we can get you back on and uh, and update this as we go as we lead into it. Absolutely, Steve. Thanks so much, man. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle is worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way? The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. For nearly 100 years, Purdy Insurance has been your locally owned, family operated source for insurance products. With a staff of over 20 and partnerships with some of the industry's most trusted companies, Purdy has the experience and resources to get the job done. Whether you need personal home and auto or complex business insurance solutions, Purdy will help you navigate through the process. Call today at 570-286-5855. Or better yet, stop in their Sunbury office to see what Purdy Insurance can do for you. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. The Sunbury Motors Fourth Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And today's show brought to you by Purdy Insurance. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Purdy's have served the Valley for decades, finding their customers the best insurance, whether it's auto, home, life, business. They update frequently to make sure you're covered. They find you the best price. And if there is a claim, they go to work as if it happened to them. They're their, they are your partner. Purdy Insurance, the insurance experts. Market Street in Sunbury. Go to purdyinsurance.com. Very pleased to be joined by the new head football coach, uh, Bucknell, Dave Cicchini. Dave, welcome. It's great to have you with us. Welcome to the Valley. 
Thanks, Steve. I'm happy to be here. All right, let's talk about the Valpo experience. You took over a program at Valpo that, with all due respect to previous staffs, just was treading water and couldn't get anywhere. What kind of rebuilding job did it take there, and did it need to have a culture adjustment? Uh, it, it definitely needed a culture adjustment, but but more so than that, it, it just needed uh, a, a sense of direction. You know, they had had some coaches that had been in there that that uh, really didn't kind of understand uh, the Division One FCS uh, way of doing football and and how to have success uh, at this level. And and uh, uh, so we really started out by hammering away. The, the biggest issue they had was a, a facility standpoint. They really were lacking in facilities. So. I uh, was able to go out and energize uh, the alumni and get them excited about the program again and, and to kind of, uh, you know, open up their wallets, uh, write some checks, and that, that helped us uh, start to catch up to the rest of the league uh, just from a facility standpoint, weight room and locker room and things like that that really had kind of fallen down uh, to, you know, closer to the Division three level of, of competitiveness. And, and uh, so that was really the key uh, that allowed us to attract uh, some better recruits, some higher caliber recruits, and, and uh, I think we did some really nice things on offense and defense and, and changed that culture uh, within the team in terms of the competitiveness, and, and uh, that, that was kind of the recipe for success there. Dave, what was it about the Bucknell job when it became open that made you say, you know what, that fits me? Yeah, uh, that's a great question. I, I started out uh, in the Patriot League, so I knew it very well. I, I, I played at Lehigh University. I coached. I was uh, uh, before I became the head coach uh, at Valparaiso. I was uh, the offensive coordinator at Lehigh, and I'd also coached uh, at Harvard in the Ivy League. So I've gotten to know uh, the unique challenges that uh, schools in, in the, the Ivy League and the Patriot League face that are a little bit different than most of the rest of the Division One FCS landscape. Uh, and, and I'll be honest, I, I've come to really love and embrace the type of student-athlete uh, that you have at these institutions. I mean, Bucknell, uh, they, they've got great kids on the football team. I mean, you can get behind them, you can root for them, you want them to be successful and it's it's somewhat of a sad state of affairs uh, in Division One college football, but uh, a lot of uh, coaches uh, at this level don't particularly enjoy uh, coaching the players that they coach. Um, it's just uh, there's a disconnect that's there, and, and uh, that that is not the case at a school like Bucknell, where you just love every interaction that you have. Uh, with the player, you can have a conversation with them that doesn't uh, necessarily have to evolve around football, and and uh, uh, they have other interests that are out there, and and uh, their heart's in the right place, and and uh, they're they're at uh, a school for the right reasons, and uh, they don't feel quite the sense of entitlement that's out there uh, at, at a lot of. Uh, uh, major college schools, you know, sometimes that's that's the expectation of a player going into there. So, so I, I think that's the first thing that really attracted me to a place like Bucknell is is uh, I knew I would get a chance to have that daily interaction with the student athlete that I know would be really rewarding for me. What were some of the important elements uh, when you're forming a staff? because that staff is going to be an extension of you. It's also going to be your liaison with the players on this team. So what were the elements you were looking at when you formed a staff, both uh, philosophically and personally? 
Yeah, yeah. Well, the, first off, I wanted them to be smart, smarter than me. <laughs> uh, a, a, a bunch of guys. That's how I formed uh, the show. Uh, That's why I got Sean. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's something that uh, you know you, you need that when when you have intelligent players that you're coaching, you need an intelligent staff as well. And, and so I wanted a, a, a good group of guys uh, that uh, certainly uh, you know know their X's and O's and have experience, but also. Uh, they're great educators. Uh, it, they have to, to have that ability to communicate those ideas that you have, uh, the philosophy of the program, uh, and be able to echo that and, and, and get that instilled uh, amongst the position groups. So uh, I wanted guys that were good educators, great communicators, great motivators, uh, and also a lot of guys who have had experience, uh, again, uh, like I have, coaching uh, this uh, type of student-athlete. All right, let's uh, get to the facility part. You mentioned at Valpo, and my experience with Valpo would be through the basketball facilities because obviously I would, I would not have a football opportunity to, to announce a game there. Uh, but uh, how do you feel about Bucknell's facilities? Are they on track? Is there something that on your wish list you'd like to see more of? Because obviously anything takes time. Sure. Yeah, I, I think that this school has an awful lot going for it. I think if you look, everything's relative. You know, is this uh, have the facilities that Penn State has? It absolutely doesn't. But it's all relative to the rest of your competition. So when you're looking at the other Patriot League schools like Colgate, uh, which certainly uh, was was uh, you know at the top of uh, the, the the conference this year. Uh, and Lehigh and Lafayette, other schools in Pennsylvania, those those are your benchmarks. And I think definitely uh, we fare very, very well when it comes to, uh, from a, a facility standpoint, compared to some of these other schools in our league. Uh, do we have everything that everybody else has? No. But just about any, conf- any school in our conference can point the finger at another school in the conference and say, well, they have this and we don't. We may have this and they don't, but they have something else that we don't have. So there does exist a fair amount of, of parity. You know, on my wish list, I would love to have an indoor turf uh, facility. That's something that uh, uh, would help us uh, moving forward, especially, you know, in, in the January and February months where there's a lot of snow and a lot of uh, cold weather that's out there. But uh, again, there, you've got a great stadium here. We've got a great football locker room. Uh, we've got a great facility here in the Clark that uh, I think is second to none in, in the conference. So, um, But by no means are we at the bottom of the barrel. When anybody comes in, obviously, at the point that you did, the recruiting part now, you, you're probably, probably in the mode of having to re-recruit a couple of players, also looking at a couple of guys that you were looking at before. Where are you in the recruiting part? Yeah, so we've got a chance to, to contact our staff and, and talk with the, the entire incoming class, incoming freshmen, had some great conversations with them. There are still a couple, not many, but there are a couple of uh, prospects that are out there that we're still uh, actively uh, trying to get to join uh, this year's class. So it may grow by one or, or two uh, as uh, we, we uh, finish things up here over the course of the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then, of course, we're just actually trying to play catch-up, which is, is crazy to say this, but you're trying to play catch-up on next year's uh, group of recruits uh, because it yeah. seems with the early signing period in December, right. everybody's just accelerated things. And, and so uh, in January, you have a lot of uh, uh, Division One FCS programs that are out there already turning their eyes. Uh, to the junior class, and we haven't been able to do that yet. So we are a little behind, and, and uh, we need to play some catch-up in that regard. 
Yeah, it gets to that point because I know in my basketball experience, which is now followed by football experience with, with what they do with the early signing period, you almost feel like if you don't really get, I don't know, 80-plus percent of your 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 uh, signees in place in the early signing period, you feel like you're playing from behind two years from behind. Right, exactly, because you're spending a lot of, for that second signing period, yeah. you're spending a lot of your time and energy working with seniors as opposed to juniors. Yeah, yeah, and and, and you feel like, oh, great, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm wasting capital here. Uh, what is the potential of Bucknell football, and what's the potential of Patriot League football? Because obviously the FCS has, has a big playoff model. Does Bucknell and does the Patriot League have what it takes to be a regular part of that model? I think absolutely, and I think Colgate uh, ha- proved that uh, to a degree with the success that they had this year. There's no question yeah. that there are challenges in this league that uh, these other, you know, CAA conferences, the Missouri Valley, you see uh, their, their conference in North Dakota State, the dominance that they've had. Uh, you, you do have some challenges that those other conferences don't have. Uh, you know, the fact of not being able to redshirt, with the exception of medical reasons, that does uh, provide uh, an extra layer of challenge. Uh, having a, a uh, roster uh, cap that uh, we have in our in our conference that other right. conferences don't have uh, that that makes a difference. So you have several things that uh, make it more challenging uh, to have success, uh, but by no means can that uh, prohibit that, that success. You know, Colgate did a great job dealing with that uh, and having success in the playoffs and, and having a great year. And uh, some of these schools in the Patriot League, uh, even without scholarships, had had success in the playoffs. Um, and, and so it's definitely possible. There's enough that these schools, and Bucknell in particular, uh, can offer to a young, you know, junior as he's looking for his next step in college. It's such an attractive school from an academic standpoint and, and from a campus life and, and so many things uh, beyond just the football experience, and that's not the case with a lot of other schools that are out there. Uh, so, you know, we may have certain hurdles that other conferences don't have, but we also do have some advantages that some of these other conferences don't have. So I don't, I see it as being a challenge, but certainly an attainable uh, result. Finally, Dave, what is it about the job of coaching that when you get up and get ready to go in the day, you can't wait to get to your office, whether the office happens to have a phone in it or whether the office happens to be out in the field? Yeah, well, you know, unfortunately, you know, a lot of that, the, this day and age, is spent more in the office than out in yeah, no. the practice field. Uh, but I, I do revert back to you have to love the players that you're coaching day in and day out. It starts with that. I mean, everybody wants to win football games on Saturdays in the fall. I'm no different. I'm that type A competitive person who's always looking for the extra edge. Uh, but you only get so many opportunities throughout the year to prove yourself. You're going to win or you're going to lose on a Saturday in fall uh, based off of all the cumulative efforts that you've done uh, the entire season. And all it's all of that day-to-day interaction, those day-to-day challenges that you have. You know, tomorrow morning we'll be out there at 6 a.m. out on the field uh, getting after it. And, and uh, that, you know, is going to go a long way into having our success uh, in those Saturdays this fall. And, and yeah, I just love every single one of those interactions, whether it's in a meeting room or, or just sitting down and having lunch with one of our players. Uh, that's what keeps you going, uh, knowing that it's a, it, you're fighting the good fight, so to speak. Uh, and, and that's why I do what I do. 
As time goes, we'll get into philosophy, but I want to thank you for the time you gave us today. We really look forward to working with you as the years go by. Great. I'm looking forward to it as well, Steve. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. He is the new head football coach at Bucknell, and uh, certainly hoping that he will do a great job, and that is Dave Cicchini. And we'll look forward to working with him probably before they get to their spring game. This is where he'll, you know, you talk about those early morning workouts. They'll get the spring practice. We'll get him back on then. And it's another interview where Sean comes out really well. And also, um, uh, I mean, to be honest with you, Sean, there was one question in there that was sort of in code about the uh, color analyst. Oh. (laughs) Well, they'll have to deal with him sooner or later. (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, this is meant to be one of those things where I just pulled Dave aside and said, you and I just need to talk. I'll do most of the talking. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell you, you know, Dave, if you're still listening right now, you're going to love your play-by-play guy. Bird song's awesome. We'll talk about the rest of it. <laughs> we'll come back with more in a moment on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Well, that was a great conversation with Dave Chiquini. Certainly did a heck of a job at Valpo. He certainly brings a wide range of experience, and not only that, a wide range of experience working at a at institutions that uh, certainly. Uh, have the proper spot for academics. And, of course, that is defining what Bucknell is. They understand the proper spot for academics. They want to win, but they also want you to win in life. All right. It's interesting. What I always find interesting in talking with, you know, Joe Susan, who was awesome, and uh, now talking with Dave Cicchini, and, you know, and obviously over the years, Dave Paulson, Nathan Davis. At Bucknell, the issues that we're talking about, yeah, transfers happen, so they happen everywhere. But some of the issues we're talking about, you know, should payers, players be paid? You know, should there be an 18-year-old for the draft? That doesn't happen at this level. You don't have a guy leaving Bucknell after their third year, they're going to go. When you when Dave recruits somebody to Bucknell, the expectation, or when Joe did, the expectation was they're going to be here for four years. Okay? They're going to be here for four years. For you, the fan, that was the expectation. At the level I broadcast that, I mean, there's turnover all over the place. You know, point guards going to the NBA draft, running backs, defensive ends going to the NFL draft, transfers. And we talk about those issues with, you know, when you've got 107,000 seats, 15,000 seat arena, you talk all the time about whether players should be paid or not. It's interesting. You know, that's why talking with guys like Nathan and Dave or, or Joe before that or Dave Paulson, I always just felt like it was refreshing like we were talking about college sports again. I don't know where we're headed with the current FBS Upper Division One Power Five basketball model. I don't know, but some parts of it 
are not my favorites right now based on, on what I've seen in my career. It's, 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 everything seems to be so much me and not enough we. You're listening to News Radio 1070 WKOK Sunbury. You can hear us anywhere in the world with the Sunbury Broadcasting Corporation app. 